everybody, and welcome to Comics and Cinema. I'm your host, Alex Klein, and today we have a little bit of a different sort of show for all of you. Uh, as we've come to expect, our episodes are typically talking about a specific film or films or comic books. Sometimes we do TV as well. But a thought occurred to me today while I was watching the new Mandalorian episode, <laughs> the new Book of Boba Fett episode. Uh, the most recent one, it just came out today. Uh, and so no spoilers will be discussed about this show, but it brought a thought into my head around nostalgia. And it's something that my brother and I dove into a little bit a couple of episodes ago around our top movies of the year. But it's something that always seems to pop up on our episodes. Some, somehow I'm talking about it one way or another, whether that is complaining about a new remake or talking about why a certain show is being made or just the idea of everything in Hollywood lacking originality. And there's also been a really great conversation or I guess tease that I've given myself throughout a lot of episodes around lore and how, uh, as we saw in the top movies episode, my brother saying uh, that I love lore and uh, kind of trying to figure out what is a movie that came out recently that wasn't lore related. So I figured why not just dedicate an entire episode to talking about this? Uh, because again, that's the power of having your own podcast is you get to talk about whatever you want. And I think that this is an, a very interesting topic and something that I've been wanting to dive into for a while, but I haven't had the time or the passion to do so. And today, I just, like I said, after watching this most recent episode of The Book of Boba Fett, uh, I, I felt compelled to do so. So what I'm going to do with you all today is I'm going to go over a couple of things. I'm going to talk about uh, the science behind nostalgia. Uh, for those of you kind of giving a refresher course on what is nostalgia, really diving into that. And then also what is going on in the current state of Hollywood over the last five years when it comes to nostalgia. That covers remakes, reboots, and revivals, uh, talking about what the differences are between those types of films and then I also have pulled up my top films from the last five years, along with the domestic box office of the last five years uh, from Box Office Mojo to kind of really hammer in the uh, arguably the importance of nostalgia in movies. Uh, and this, again, kind of spun out of I keep wanting to say The Mandalorian, but uh, I wrote down some questions. And so I'm hoping that these either get answered or that these inspire you to maybe do a little bit of digging yourself uh, in terms of nostalgia. So uh, I'm going to start with at least just this comment that I made here, which was we know nostalgia sells, obviously, but how far, do, how far does goodwill get you with a bad story? And that, again, this is not, that's not spinning out of this most recent episode. Uh, but again, just that idea that it feels like a lot of times movie studios are making movies for movies for money's sake uh, and saying, wow, it's a lot easier to invest money in a sure thing than it is to take a risk on something maybe a little more original. Why is that? Uh, and will there be a tipping point? at some point in time where people get tired of this sort of thing? Uh, and if so, when is that? When is that coming? What, and so what makes some nostalgia amazing while other stuff isn't so much so? Where, where is that? That's a little bit easier of a question to answer. I kind of answered it as I did my own research. Uh, but also, is nostalgia the cure for movie theaters? 
uh, which is an interesting question, something that, again, I think is very easy to answer as you dive into it. But my other question, and this one I don't know if we'll be able to answer on this episode, but it is what is the next nostalgia? What is coming in the future? Because right now we are in a renaissance of our times. And if you look back at how uh, Hollywood has kind of revived and rebooted film and TV, and you could even go so far as to say things like video games, books, uh, all any sort of media, you could even maybe argue uh, music, but we're not going to dive into that. Uh, but to say most nostalgia from what I've seen is based in a time period of around 20 to 30 years, something like that, maybe even like 15. But to say that the people who we are pandering to as Hollywood is typically someone whose nostalgic factor is coming from 20 to 30 years prior. So right now, that math adds up to the 90s, right? Typically, Hollywood is marketing to late 30s, early 40s, people who grew up during a specific amount of time where, again, all of these types of films are starting to come out. And no more apparent has that been over the last five years. Uh, obviously, it's been done for a long time. You saw that a little bit in uh, actually really every kind of time period. I'm thinking like in the 60s, there was probably there's some nostalgia for the 50s. That same thing kind of happened in the 70s. And uh, you saw that as well in like the 2000s. People were really obsessed with the 80s. And now as the end towards the end of the 2000s, really getting into that 80s mentality with things like Stranger Things as a huge one. Uh, but now we're really moving into the 90s. Biggest example I can think of off the top of my head for that is Captain Marvel, a movie set completely in the 90s, because again, it, it lined up obviously with the MCU timeline. But how perfect is that when you've got other movies kind of coming around in that same vein of you know, the Ghostbusters remake. And again, Stranger Things, another one I saw in one of the articles I read, Men in Black International. Uh, again, if any of you saw that, uh, another big one, I guess, Ghostbusters, the all-female reboot. You could look at Ocean's 8, the all-female reboot, then Charlie's Angels reboot. A lot of these ones that came out recently rebooting movies that are around 10 to 20 years old uh, to try again and see if they can get some more on that. But those are some of the questions that I'd kind of come up with. Again, I'm hoping to sort of answer that as I talk through all of this with all of you. But as we get started, uh, one thing I wanted to mention is a quote. And it's a quote that I think about way too often. And I think that's because it really hit home for me. And uh, that's why this is kind of a passion topic for me as well. I'm, I've always been fascinated with mental health and not just in the sense of like getting better and, you know, self-care, all of that sort of stuff, but just the idea of the brain. I've always been fascinated with how the brain works. How do our brains work? Why are we attracted to certain things and want to see certain movies, want to uh, fall in love with certain TV shows? And uh, I, I've just always followed those rabbit trails as far as I can go. And so I guess maybe that's why this quote stuck with me. But uh, in the comics and cinema vein, it is a quote from Watchmen uh, said by Silk Spectre, uh, portrayed by Carla Cugino in the 2009 film. Every day, the future looks a little bit darker, but the past, even the grimy parts of it, well, it just keeps getting brighter all the time. And it's such a funny statement because when you look at the science behind nostalgia and you, you really sit down and think about 
why we like nostalgia, why we like remakes and reboots when they're done right. And maybe even sometimes when they're not done right. And that's the reason why is because we are in a a time right now where things are more uncertain than ever. There's been a lot of uncertainty and movies in and of themselves have given people a chance to escape. It gives you an ability to take two hours away from your life to where you don't have to worry about the mask mandates that are going on and you don't have to worry about the stresses of life. And it's, it's nice. I, again, it's not a solution because uh, you're still going to have those issues when you leave. You're still going to be, uh, depending on you know what you believe and what you feel, you're still going to have those feelings after you walk out of the theater unless that film was life-changing. And more and more, as time has gone on, people don't really want those life-changing movies. They say that they do, right? They say they want that that new thing, that brand new movie that's going to change my life, that has that scene that's going to make me cry and make me realize that my whole life has, you know, basically uh, something like, uh, you know, Interstellar or, uh, you know, Inception, those types of films where after you've watched it, you're like, wow, I just had an experience at the movie theaters. You could throw in something like Avengers Endgame as well. But I'm pointing out Inception and Interstellar because those are original films. Those are only lore in the sense that there is some nostalgia tied to the director, Christopher Nolan, that you know when you go into that movie, it's going to be a good movie because Nolan made the movie. Uh, But as time has gone on and more and more uncertainty is plaguing us, We want to have that comfort when we go to the theater. As the future continues to look a little bit darker, the past keeps looking brighter. And that's because of nostalgia. So the science of nostalgia, I want to talk about this a little bit. This is from an article on uh, Walnut Unlimited by Christina Balazano, who uh, is back in 2020. Uh, was kind of just giving some information around nostalgia. And the interesting piece is that this article was aligned more so with brands and how brands can utilize nostalgia. So that's cracking open a whole nother egg of information and how uh, the powers that be, uh, whether that's Hollywood or big business or whatever that is, how they are utilizing this science within our brains to essentially manipulate us. Uh, Whether that is good or bad is completely up to you to decide. I'm certainly not going to tell you. I have my opinions, but um, nostalgia is something that is very easily malleable for people because they so crave it, right? Again, times are really uncertain. Things are, are really stressful right now for so many people, and we just want an escape. We want to feel better. We want to go back to those times when things were better and things were brighter, and the irony of that is there's almost a question there of who are we marketing this nostalgia to? Who is Hollywood marketing this nostalgia to? Because for a lot of people, the good old days were not the good old days at all. And again, you you can look back in time and say, yeah, maybe my childhood wasn't as great as some other people's childhood. But even in this, um, Christina mentions that nostalgia has a way of kind of messing with your brain in a sense to even make those moments that maybe were those grimy parts that Silk Spectre talks about a little shinier over time because we tend to forget some of those bad things, which she said, I don't know if I agree with that because I feel like sometimes if you've had a really traumatic childhood, I feel like that's going to stick with you forever. But 
Regardless, she explains nostalgia as a complex emotion that evolves, involves past-oriented cognition and a mixed affective signature. The emotion is oft, often triggered by encountering a familiar smell, sound, or by engaging in conversations with people or a situation that feels familiar. Hence why these movies pull in actors from the past and pull in storylines from the past because you're familiar with them. And it says that uh, in peer-reviewed papers, it's been reported that nostalgic experiences activate several regions in the brain, particularly the prefrontal cortex, the limbic, paralimbic, and midbrain areas. So people who listen to music that evokes nostalgic experiences, greater activity in the inferior frontal gyrus, substantia nigira, and cerebellum and insula than they do when listening to music that does not induce nostalgia. So think about that too, that there's probably certain songs that you listen to that bring back. I mean, I know that for a fact for myself, you know, there, there are songs where that they take you immediately back to that moment, that first dance or that road trip or uh, that weird point in time where a song just happened to be on when you were hanging out with friends. And now every time you hear that song, you think back to that time, uh, which is just so cool. And what's interesting as well, it says other experiences or experiments that were ran with a functional magnetic resonance imaging machine, which is similar to an MRI, reported nostalgia as a recall of long forgotten memories, activating parts of the brain involved in novelty detection and the brain being wired to respond positively to stimuli that are new and unfamiliar. The distant memories provided a double reward both the familiarity and the novelty. So not only are you remembering this, this thing, this event uh, with, with a positive light, right? You're going, ah, oh, that, yeah, that's right. That was, that was such a good time in my life. But at the same time, you're really getting back into that. Oh, that's right. Because you've forgotten the memory. And so you get that novelty aspect of not only are you remembering and experiencing something maybe new, it's not necessarily new because you already experienced it, but that's what gives you the familiar aspect of it as well. So cool to see. So um, the question that was asked to her as well was, how does the strength of nostalgizing, so again, thinking nostalgic thoughts, compare to more primal emotions like fear, love, and anger? Uh, and, and can it ever be as powerful as those types of emotions? Again, I think this is all key in understanding the, uh, the landscape of Hollywood right now, but you've got fear, happiness, and anger are primary emotions, which are almost automatic in terms of reaction and do not require our higher cognitive functions to act on. Whereas nostalgia is a more complex, high-order emotion that requires an appraisal involving more conscious memory retrieval and reward systems when integrated with sensory information. So the power of nostalgia lies in its capacity to improve our mood, increase social connectedness, enhance positive self-regard, and provide existential meaning which is really interesting. So it can act as a glue that can bring things and individuals together. It also has a social component of recognizing something that was part of our past and celebrating it as well as ascribing value to it. So in a time, this is interesting too. Again, this, uh, this, uh, this was written in uh, September of 2020. So not too far off, but it says in a time when most marketing has tended to focus on the future, Nostalgia transports us back to a simpler place 
where our current challenges do not matter and our memories serve as a comfort blanket and reminder of better times. Again, uh, who is being marketed to this? Because there are certain people, certain groups of people as well that don't have reminders of better times because they have not been treated fairly throughout their time. Uh, and also she points out the outbreak of COVID-19 has turned the world upside down and left us with a massive need for connectedness and togetherness. So I think nostalgia, if well played, can be an effective tool to bring the world together, she posits, which is really interesting. So we go back now to what I said just a little bit earlier around why are these companies doing this sort of thing? Are they really trying to bring the world together? Because it sounds like it could be a really effective tool to do so. And I can think of some specific instances uh, where that is the case. And I would almost argue that these are one-off instances. Well, maybe not. We'll, we'll see. Let's see how we can, if I can make this, if I can dance around this argument. So looking at two really great examples of nostalgic films that are very similar, Avengers Endgame and Spider-Man No Way Home. So spoilers for Spider-Man No Way Home. I will try to be as brief as I can about it, but for anyone, skip ahead a few minutes. Uh, we'll see how that goes. But in a sense, they're both the same, right? Both of them, uh, both of them utilize this idea of bringing back things from the past. And in Avengers Endgame, that is bringing back the people from the past. Uh, and in Spider-Man No Way Home, it also is about bringing back people from the past. But it, uh, one of them is within the film and one of them is externally from the film. Uh, and so, again, I'll, I'll try to not go as deep as that. But to say these both were ex insane, insane films. You look at right now the domestic uh, the domestic uh, gross for Spider-Man No Way Home is at $736 million. That is just domestic. It's already past a billion dollars uh, internationally. And that is during the pandemic. Still, we're in it. If, if people didn't realize that, we're in it. The closest movie to touch that in 2021 was Shang-Chi at $224 million. So there's a almost five, there's over a $500,000 difference, half a million, half a billion dollar difference uh, between those two films in this domestic box office. So what sets Spider-Man apart from these other movies besides the fact that this is the end of a trilogy and the fact that it's a Spider-Man film, one of the most recognized superheroes of all time. But then you also look at the number one movie of 2019, which was Avengers Endgame with $858 million. Uh, and the conversation will get more interesting as we dive into these other numbers for the movies that are behind it. Uh, right now, I'm sticking with just those two and going back to this idea of bringing the world together. So when you look at these movies, and comparatively look at, say, some of the current day movies of today, right? Uh, Ghost, the new Ghostbusters remake. Uh, again, the Men in Black International movie. The Mummy. How about that? The Tom Hanks, Tom Hanks, the Tom Cruise Mummy movie. Uh, Stranger Things wasn't necessarily a remake, but same thing, capitalized on nostalgia. And then you've got the other big one is uh, all of the Disney remakes that they've been doing. You look at all these movies and say, okay, are, are these being made, designed to bring people together, or are they designed to make money? And a answer can be both. It can be both. But in some of these instances, I think they're going to lean more on the latter of making money uh, more so than the former. But when you look at uh, No Way Home and Endgame, 
those brought people together, did they not? I mean, you can think back for both of those films, I think, for most people, apologies to those of you overseas who maybe not have not even seen Spider-Man No Way Home yet, but they, you know, there were, there were phases, right? We had the phase of, oh, I had to go buy tickets and my movie theater didn't have them or that the website crashed. And that was literally the same experience for No Way Home, No Way Home as well. Uh, that was a whole situation. So thinking back on that, there was nostalgia there of that group experience of everyone having that same issue of trying to book tickets. But not only that, you have this collective experience of everyone sitting in the theater for the first time watching this film. And I guarantee you, those of you listening that got to see this film on opening weekend know exactly what I'm talking about when I say that there were just cheers and tears throughout these films, throughout both of these movies. And uh, so arguably and interestingly enough, they're, they're both very similar in that sense. And it's funny when people, I, I've said it on a couple of episodes now, I'm not trying to say that I, I was the first to say it of that, you know, they're identical films, but they're really close in that sense. And I think both of them were made with the intention of bringing people together. But the, the interesting piece, again, going back to that nostalgia time factor is what is Endgame's nostalgia? Because that movie is not referencing something from 20 years ago. It's not referencing something from 30 years ago. It's, it's literally calling back things from 10 years ago, which is a very risky nostalgia move. I don't know how risky it is, but when you just look at the way movie studios operate, they're trying to revive things in that time frame. I mean, you had, look at all of the remakes that came out when 21 Jump Street came out. And I say that because there's even, and I'll see if I can find, I'm going to try to find the quote um, before it came on. So the quote is from Captain Dickinson. Uh, uh, what's his name? Ron Swanson. Uh, gosh, I always forget what his real name is. But again, Captain Dickinson in the movie, and this is something very common to remakes and reboots. You see this very often. You, I saw this in Space Jam. I saw this in the, the new Matrix movie. Both of those uh, are just insane when it comes to trying to manipulate you for nostalgia, which is very ironic for the Matrix. But uh, they always seem to call out in these remakes and joke at themselves about it being a remake almost as if that's the the past that they need. Oh, if we just mention it in the movie in a meta way, people will be cool with it. And it's like, no. Uh, but this movie pulled it off and did it well because he said, fortunately for you two, when he's talking to the cops, uh, we're reviving a canceled undercover police program from the 80s and revamping it for modern times. You see, the guys in charge of this stuff lack creativity and are completely out of ideas. So all they do now is recycle stuff from the past and expect us all not to notice. And that is the definition of these remakes is recycling things from the past. But when you look at movies like Avengers Endgame and Spider-Man No Way Home, that's not really what they're doing, right? The story is completely different. They're not recycling anything. They're honoring the past, which gets to our conversation around why, what makes some nostalgia amazing while other nostalgia is tacky. And again, I said the answer is easy. The answer is the story. If the story is good, if the story makes sense and this movie makes sense to be made, then make it and we are going to love it. If you are making a movie just for the sake of selling toys or for the sake of trying to make a quick buck at the theater, I feel like a lot of that isn't going to fly anymore. And each year it feels like that there's a there's diminishing returns in regards to that. So 
Um, and that's where I think Avengers Endgame does such a really good job because it's not referencing the 80s. It's not referencing the 90s. It's referencing its own lore. And that to me is the future of nostalgia when it comes to movies is series like this. And yeah, I'm calling the Marvel's the Marvel universe a series, but movies where you can reference within your films and you're referencing specific things that are quick, easy to do. That's the future. Not necessarily saying, Hey, let's just make a movie based on a perfect example. And no offense to anyone who likes it. Cause I think it's a great movie is rogue one. Rogue One is a movie that did not need to be made because I don't think any, and again, Star Wars fans, feel free, feel free to harness your nostalgia for how much you love the Star Wars movies to yell at me in the comments about why this movie needed to be made because it didn't need to be made at all. This is a movie that was based off of a quote in the opening crawl of a Star Wars movie. To me, that is not something that needs to be dug into, and that leads into a lot of other things that Star Wars has had issues with over the years. Solo, again, a movie that has grown on me over time, but I still can't get away from the fact that no one wanted a Solo movie except for a lot of the older fans who were huge fans of Solo. Again, when you're, when you're trying to market to a specific base as opposed to a wider swath of audience, you really risk alienating so many other people. I mean, look at the GOP right now, not to get political, but a lot of them are really starting to see the um, alleged value in marketing to Donald Trump's very tiny base of the Republican Party. And it's blowing up in a lot of people's faces because uh, the base of a lot of fandoms is very dangerous, whether that is a political fandom, or a movie fandom, if you're marketing to just a very small amount of people, you run the risk of alienating the rest of them. And Marvel does such a good job with that because they marketed to kind of everybody. And then they let those people kind of be their marketers through things like the Comic-Cons, all of that sort of stuff. So all of that to say that Avengers Endgame and Spider-Man No Way Home are just really good examples of a movie that handled nostalgia the right way. Uh, looking at movies that handled it the wrong way, such as Men in Black International. And I keep bringing this one up because, again, I saw it in an article and it was interesting because I saw that movie in theaters and I didn't like it, but it just it didn't make sense to me. No one asked for that movie to be made, yet it came out right in that sweet spot of nostalgia of that, that 20 year mark of the other Men in Black movies. Not only that, but they pulled two Thor actors in, both Thor and Valkyrie, Tessa Thompson and Chris Hemsworth are the leads in that movie. And you even had um, Kingo as well in there uh, as the little alien guy. So um, you've got a bunch of great actors in this film, people who are very well known, and yet the movie did not do really well. It got panned critically. It did not make a lot of money uh, on. I'm going to double check here just to make sure, because uh, I'm pretty sure that came out in 2019. Yeah, yeah. It only made $80 million, which again, in these days, it's that's a good deal. But it's number 36 uh, out of all of these for the domestic box office for 2019. So people didn't want that. People didn't really want The Mummy either. That was another huge one. That was, that was a swing for the fences moment when Universal announced The Dark Universe. And I dove deep into that during our Mummy episodes earlier last year, which are available. Uh, but just to say, again, 
No one was asking for a mummy movie. No one was asking for a remake, but these, these studios keep thinking that they can pull this sort of stuff off. And so when you're looking at it that way, uh, there's a really interesting article I read where the, the title of the article was Hollywood will stop making reboots when you stop paying for them. And uh, this was by Abrar Alhiti uh, back in 2019, October of 2019. So still, still around there. Uh, but she, she referenced that right now we're in a peak nostalgia moment. Things such as Toy Story 4, Men in Black International, the live remake of The Lion King, Charlie's Angels, Pirates of the Caribbean, TV reboots such as Gilmore Girls, Full House, Will and Grace, all of these different things that are, and this was around that time, if you remember October of 2019, that's when the streaming wars first started. And she brings up a key piece around here to say that uh, there's all of these, uh, the, one of the reasons obviously is money. Creating original content is a costly risk that many studios are willing, not many studios are willing to make these days because the price of movies and TV shows keeps rising. Studios are less likely to take a gamble on fresh content because there's so much at stake. And uh, just interesting to say it that way because, uh, and, and even put it like this, if you're giving a choice between something new and original that you're not, you haven't experienced yet or something that you already like, you tend to choose the thing that you already like because you understand that you had a previously positive experience with it. So there's a high likelihood that you'll have a good experience with it again, which is sad because a lot of these experiences end up being bad. A lot of these remakes and reboots are just not what they were supposed to be, not what they were pitched to be, and certainly not what the trailers indicated them to be. And so what happens then? Uh, we feel betrayed. We feel like, hey, we, we spent our hard-earned money on these films, and they were not good. And, uh, you know, kind of a, an interesting point there around what happens in the future for nostalgia. Because at some point, there has to be this tipping point. And if so, when is this tipping point? Is it going to come soon? I don't know. Because it leads into this other question around, is nostalgia the cure for movie theaters? How do we get people back into the theaters? Well, much like animals, uh, humans are always, they're, they're creatures of habit, right? We're creatures of comfort. We are living in uncertain times and we want to make sure that if we leave the house in this current pandemic environment, that we are doing so for a very good reason, which is why you see the Marvel movies still making so much money because people trust Marvel. At the same time, it's why you see a lot of these other remakes, especially ones that Disney makes, doing so well because they are trusted. They are a brand that people care about, which goes right back into that manipulation piece of, oh, uh, wondering when Disney is going to make that film that is really bad, that relies strictly on nostalgia. And the question is, maybe that film already has come out because back in, was it 2016 or tw it might have been 2019? I think you got it on this uh, this spot here. I've got another article around uh, how many is too many reboots by Riley Dauber. This was actually from October of 2021. So very much newer, uh, but was talking about, oh, 2010, 2010's Alice in Wonderland. Uh, if you guys all remember that movie that starred Johnny Depp, and I believe that was also, is it Mia Wasikowski uh, as uh, Alice? And that movie made over a billion dollars at the box office. That was their first remake. And from there, it just kept coming. You've got, I mean, you name it, right? Aladdin, Lion King, Cinderella, 
Uh, I was going to say Peter Pan, not Peter Pan. I said Aladdin, Beauty and the Beast, Jungle Book, uh, Cruella, Maleficent, and there's probably a few others. But the problem is when you look at these and go, okay, The Lion King is a shot-for-shot remake of the animated movie. Uh, Yeah, Cruella and Maleficent are are very different. I enjoyed both of those movies quite a bit. But then like Cinderella, Jungle Book, kind of the same. They're not really adding much new. Aladdin had some new songs. Cool, awesome. Okay, Beauty and the Beast was almost shot-for-shot remake, even with the songs. But why? Why are they continuing to do this? Well, okay, every single one of those movies made a ton of money. They continuously made money. I think Lion King made a billion dollars. Uh, I think Aladdin also made a billion dollars. So why wouldn't you continue to make these movies? Because everyone wants to go see them. So it puts you in a tough spot because when we're looking at the future of film, looking at the future of cinema as a whole, and we say we want to have more creativity, we want to have more originality and less of the same old, same old. People aren't wanting to go to the movie theaters anymore for that new originality. They're wanting to go for the same old, same old because they trust that. So with that said, uh, I'm going to answer that other question that I posed around what is the difference between a remake, a reboot, and a revival? So um, remakes tend to be similar, uh, as similar to the original as possible. So think of something like uh, Star is Born. So there have been like five Star is Born films, the most recent one being the 2018 one. They have the almost exact same plot, but it's different actors, different, different setting, different story. Um, all white, but uh, there's there's that sense of nostalgia there because you saw the Star is Born with, uh, Ju- uh, was it Judy Garland who was uh, in the first one? Or you saw the one that was with, uh, I believe, Bette Midler or was Bette Midler? Uh, not Bette Midler. Uh, the other, I'm trying to remember what her name is, man. I'm, I'm, I'm always tough with names, but that's a remake where you're remaking the same thing. It's a little bit different. A reboot is where it's a different story but it's usually the same characters. So think of Batman, Spider-Man, the Fantastic Four, the one that came out in 2015. Those are reboots. It's the same story, just different actors, different characters, different settings. Uh, And then revivals, which typically you're going to see more in TV, such as Gossip Girl. I am listing this off of this article, but Gossip Girl and iCarly. Uh, You can think about say, I I think Fuller Fuller House would probably fall under that revival as well, Um, items like that. So again, just really interesting as to why, why do they keep making all of this? An interesting piece of it as well is that a lot of these revivals, you think about specifically revivals and reboots and look at that from a a film and TV perspective and look at it from like Disney Plus, right? You've got the it's uh, I think it's a young girl this time as a, a Doogie Howser uh, doctor show, the Turner and Hooch show, uh, but also like the Home Alone remake that they made. Uh, why are they constantly making these? Well, not only because of the money, right? But you look at it from a Disney Plus perspective or whether it's Hulu with, uh, I can't think of some of the ones on Hulu, but the one that always comes to my mind is the Rugrats remake. Cause that one, that one made me mad when I, uh, when I heard about that one. Cause again, the Rugrats was a great show. Why do we need to make a new one? And why does it need to be this weird new animation style? Well, part of the reason why is because it, uh, 
it's part of their streaming brand. So now we're in the streaming war where everyone's vying for everybody else's subscription dollars. And so the more shows, the more content that you can get out there, the better your chances are going to be. And you, you may even get lucky and sell some merchandise as well, which is, again, super annoying that we're focusing on it that way. But that's that's where we're at right now in this current landscape is all of what we like watching is run by money. And by what is going to be the thing that sells the most, what's going to be the thing that gets people to subscribe for the longest. It's the reason why Disney releases their shows on a weekly basis. And it's the reason why Netflix releases them on a binge basis, but they also release 16 of them at the same time, different shows for different people. So there's always something for you to watch on Netflix. And kind of going back, I mentioned as well that, uh, this sort of uh, nostalgia movement is also hit video games as well. You see things like every single old console has has been given kind of that retro classic remake as well. You've got the the NES classic, the SNES classic. I think they did one for PlayStation and for N64. Uh, and then also look at it from a games perspective as well. You've got so many games that are being remade and remastered. Uh, Grand Theft Auto just remastered GTA 3, Vice City, and San Andreas. Uh, Skyrim got a remaster, even though that game came out in 2015 or something like that, 2014. And maybe even 2013. It's been a long time. But I just bought the Bioshock, uh, re the remastered versions of all the Bioshock games. They did it for Destroy All Humans trying to think of all the ones i've got on my game list uh they did it for all the doom games and again why well because people are going to pay for it you charge another 30 bucks for that Ooh, the tony hawk one they did tony hawk uh pro skater one and two as a, a re i don't look i don't complain about the video game portions because uh i love those i can't go back and play my playstation version of uh of tony hawks now that i have this one that's better graphics better everything and it's not just limited to video games and movies too i know we talked about tv shows but comic books comic books are also a huge proponent of utilizing nostalgia to boost their comic sales i feel like over the last probably five definitely definitely five maybe even ten probably even longer than that years uh the publishers specifically and i i can really only speak for marvel every event series is a remake of prior event series the story itself might be a little bit different uh, so I guess you could say it's a reboot, but the titles are the exact same. I mean, a couple of years ago, there was an Infinity Wars series that came out right around the same time that Infinity War and Endgame had come out. Just recently, there was an event series around Heroes Reborn, which is a storyline from the 90s. Uh, there's also uh, in Miles Morales' comics, he's going through his own clone saga that's just pulled straight from the 90s. Uh, and you see that with a lot of different things. Every, every new event series that comes out somehow is tied to a prior event series. They had Civil War II, uh, which was uh, pretty on the nose. And I'm trying to think if there's any others, but comic books are just the exact same. How can we market to that? And, and again, why are they pulling from the 90s? Well, we, we talked about nostalgia really pulling from the last sort of 20, uh, 30 years or so, and that's it just feels like maybe that's the primary target market is those people who are of that age to appreciate the comics that came out back then to try and market them at the exact same time. Again, comics, movies, video games, they're all basically the same. So when you look at it from a wider lens to go back to, is nostalgia 
these remakes, these reboots, these this focus on lore. I mean, you, you look at, at the MCU is essentially building nostalgia right now because I guarantee you when we ourselves are older and our children are in their 30s, I'll be curious to see what happens then. Because you look at a kid today who grows up in this world of a thousand different pieces of content coming out every single day and every single thing needs to be tweeted about and talked about constantly. And then it's forgotten in three days and the new thing comes out and we have to focus on the new episode of of this, that, or the other. How are those kids going to process nostalgia in the future? Because back in the day, you again, you look at whatever movie you're wanting to watch that was probably one of the few movies that came out besides those b movies and so you focused on star wars right on the on a new hope for as many years until the next star wars movie came out there wasn't 17 other star wars movies that came out in between that tided you over until the next one you got your instant gratification uh, or now you get your instant gratification so when you've got all these kids that are in this this uh space What's their nostalgia going to look like in 30 years? Are they going to look back and say, man, I wish I had a reboot or a remake of a movie that just called out every single piece of nostalgia that I ever had in my last 10 years because there's been so much of it. Well, in that case, I'd point them to Ready Player One because that is also another heavily nostalgic film that literally just makes its business of calling out every single piece of, of nerd culture that you can have. So again, interesting to think about that. I don't have an answer to it. But is nostalgia the cure for theaters? Unfortunately, I think it is. And I know I talked about that briefly in the top movies as well. But when you look at these films, all the big ones are nostalgia based. So when you look at my top films, we talked about them already. I'm only going to do, I mean, my top 10, my entire top 10 only has two movies that aren't lore based and i'm calling them lore based again nostalgia whatever you want to call it based on a property that already exists which were luca and the harder they fall uh luca though i would also argue argue has nostalgia baked into it for the plot because the whole time i was watching it i was picturing being back in the summer so the only one would have been the harder they fall which is still based on westerns so uh, in 2020 tenant that was an original movie but again there's nostalgia baked into the director uh, My Hero Academia, Heroes Rising, based on a TV show, Birds of Prey, Mulan, Palm Springs, uh, I wanted to call out. Technically an original movie, but isn't the fact of going back in time over and over kind of nostalgia in and of itself? Interesting thought. Uh, safe to say most of the movies in my top list are lore related or somehow uh, you know, part of some director. But when you look at the box office, so getting back to this idea of what um, it is nostalgia the cure for theaters. Well, you could argue that it already has been because the top tens for all of these years are nostalgia based. Start with 2017. Number 10, Fate of the Furious, re, uh, sequel. Logan, Despicable Me 3, Thor Ragnarok, It, Spider-Man Homecoming, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, Wonder Woman, Beauty and the Beast, and Star Wars Last Jedi. Every single one of those top 10 are based on a prior property or are furthering some lore story from before. 2018, exact same. Solo, Ant-Man, Mission Impossible Fallout, Jumanji, The Grinch, which is a remake of the prior Grinch movies, Deadpool 2, 
Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom, Incredibles 2, Avengers Infinity War, and Black Panther. 2019, same thing, It Chapter 2, Joker, Aladdin, Far From Home, Rise of Skywalker, Captain Marvel, Frozen 2, Toy Story 4, Lion King, and Endgame. But then you move into uh, the, what did we call it, the one-off, the outlier year of 2020 because no movies really came out in 2020. And the closest thing we'd have to look at is Tenet, which came out in September, August-ish. I mean, the top 10 here, Call of the Wild, Invisible Man, Little Women, Doolittle, Birds of Prey, uh, Rise of Skywalker still, Jumanji, Sonic 1917, and Bad Boys for Life. Again, mostly all remakes and also movies that came out the prior year (laughs) and and made more of their money at the beginning of the year because of the Oscars. So 2020 is a fluke. Uh, 2021, however, may give us, and and that's the the reason I pointed out as being a fluke was in in 2020, the theater experience, movie theaters themselves were on life support. So they, uh, I mean, they were just trying to get by. They were closed for most of the year. There wasn't really much that they could do. And, and we talked about that back then. But now we say, okay, you're in a new world now. Obviously, we still have mandates. We still have, you still have to wear your mask. You still have to, um, you know, kind of keep your social distancing. But places are much more open now. And so the movie theaters are going strong. They're, they're open 24-7, 24-7. They're open all the normal times they would have been in 2019. The domestic box office for 2021 is number 10, Free Guy, which is interesting, right? Oh, Free Guy, that's kind of an original property, right? Yes, technically it is, but the plot is based on nostalgia. I mean, the entire the entire movie is based on the thing people, rem- what do you remember most from Free Guy? What's the first thing that comes into your mind? Because if it isn't Captain America's shield or the lightsaber that he uses, then um, you're a better man than I am. Uh, number nine, Ghostbusters Afterlife self-explanatory quiet place part two james bond no time to die eternals f9 the fast saga black widow venom shang chi spider-man no way home again all nostalgia based movies those are the top films and you can even go and say oh well it's kind of like the uh i think what is it is there there's a family guy bit where stewie uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He was like, oh, Brian, I'm, I'm writing a, a song for the girl that I love. And I think I'm going to call it Linda. Uh, I don't remember what the name was, but he's like, are, can you not be more uh, cliche about this? He's like, what are you talking about? And he said, he says, no one's done that. He's like, yeah. He goes, name, name 10 songs that are about that have a woman's name. And he just go immediately lists 10 songs. Uh, okay, fine. List 10 more. And then he lists 10 more. You can do that with this. The next top 10. Jungle Cruise, based on a ride, Godzilla vs. Kong, Dune, Halloween Kills, Encanto, Cruella, Sing 2, Space Jam, The Conjuring, and Candyman. Oh, come on, Alex. Can't just be 20. Give me 10 more. Okay, fine. The Boss Baby, Family Business, Adam's Family 2, The Suicide Squad, Raya and the Last Dragon, Demon Slayer Mugen Train, Clifford the Big Red Dog, House of Gucci, old tom and jerry and the forever purge out of all of those films the only ones that i would even entertain talking about would be ray and the last dragon house of gucci and old and my holes that i would poke in those is again ray is built in nostalgia because it's a disney property you know that that movie is going to be good and it's animated house of gucci 
I would actually argue that's that's a good one because I can't I don't even remember who the director of that is. Uh, but old is an M Night Shyamalan movie, so you could argue that oh, if I go see that movie, I'm going to enjoy it. I know that I'm going to enjoy it because I love M Night Shyamalan. But three films out of thirty films, that is ten percent of the movies are original that are coming out all of the rest 90% of the films in the box office the top 30 are uh nostalgic films which says a lot and i think answers this question of is nostalgia the future and the cure for movie theaters like i said i believe that it is the question then becomes though how do we break away from this how do we support new movies original ideas once movie theaters are back because they're on life support right now and we are trying to get them back, but what happens once they are back? Are we just going to keep doing nostalgic films and never do another original movie again because we don't want to risk people not coming to see it? I sure hope not. And kind of like I mentioned in the last episode with my brother, I hope these younger generations kind of knock that out of the out of place because I hope they see this and I hope they change uh, change a little bit to say we can do better. We can, we can have some creativity. We can take some risks and it doesn't have to just be taking a risk on, you know, the brand new Netflix movie that comes out this week. That technically could be an original movie uh, because we all know that there is a certain thing as Netflix quality. And a lot of those movies do not hit the bar that we want them to be. But overall, I would like to think of nostalgia as a tool. It's something that we can use to make ourselves feel better to take ourselves out of these uncertain times that we're dealing with and to remember those moments that we really liked, good or bad. If we can do that when we sit in a movie theater and enjoy it, then we've we've had a good time, right? We've, we've done it. But the danger just becomes when these movies are being made just to make money. They're being made just to be made and there's really no good story behind it. That's when we need to start concerning ourselves. And I don't think I saw every single one of these movies that came out. I definitely saw probably 90% of them, (laughs) 85% of them. And most of them were really good. Most of them were really enjoyable, but I purposely avoided some of the ones like Ghostbusters Afterlife because I read a lot about how they are just very nostalgic based and there's just I have no I have no bearing for the Ghostbusters franchise so I don't need to go see that movie to feel like I am I don't know getting the Ghostbusters movie that I never got when I was a kid I'm not sure but that is where we're going to wrap things up here for comics and cinema so I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Like I said, a little bit different than we typically talk about. So maybe we'll do more of these in the future if you guys like them. But for now, and for comics and cinema, I'm your host, Alex Klein, and we will see you at the movies. (laughs) 